performerstuff.com presents In the Holding Room with Christian Abbott. Hey everyone, you're in the holding room with me, Christian Abbott. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are listening to this podcast and you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Hit that subscribe button. That really helps us out. And also share this with a friend. Yeah, spread the word in the holding room with Christian Abbott. You can check us out on Facebook, like us, follow us at in the holding room, but then share it with at least one friend. That would really help us out. And if you're listening to this, but maybe you want to watch some of these interviews and see who's actually talking, you can watch these on performerstuff.com. So make sure you're heading over there and checking that out as well. Well, we have an amazing episode today with three leading ladies of Broadway. In our Performer Spotlight section, we have the incredible Christy Cates on, and she's going to be talking about her audition with Stephen Schwartz, where she cracks at the audition, but everything turns out fine because she was in the original Broadway cast. She understudied Idina Menzel as Elphaba. She performed Elphaba in Chicago and on Broadway and national tour, so everything turns out fine. The incredible Christy Cates sharing some wonderful stories today. In our professor's corner section, we have Kate and Katie, who were both Christine Dias in Phantom of the Opera. And they have started teaching group singing for dancers. So they have some amazing tips for dancers out there on how to sing and prepare for auditions, but they're actually great tips for everyone. So make sure you stay tuned to professor's corner. And in my thank you five section, and as a reminder, thank you five is when the stage manager calls the five minutes, five minutes to the top of the show. And then you respond to the stage manager by saying, thank you five, because you heard it. Anyway, that's where thank you five comes from, if you didn't know. But my thank you five section, I will be talking uh, about why you can't call any Broadway musical a bad musical. And I know some of you have, and I'm going to tell you why you can't. All this and more coming your way today on In the Holding Room with me, Christian Abbott. Performer Stuff was created to meet the needs of folks just like you, performers, educators, and professionals in the entertainment industry. At Performer Stuff, you can search our online store for monologues and music for your next audition or to use in your classroom. On our More Good Stuff blog, you can access hundreds of articles and how-to lists created just for you by industry professionals. There are dance and voice classes and workshops at PS Academy. Plus, you can download podcasts and shows just like this one, featuring performers and entertainment pros from around the world. Basically, it's an online community just for you. So check out the website at performerstuff.com or follow us on social media. Today's Performer Spotlight segment features an actress who has blown us away with her cabaret and concert performances. Some of her theatrical credits include Finding Neverland on Broadway, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Broadway, and she was in the original cast of Wicked. You've probably heard her on the cast album of Wicked, and she understudied Idina Menzel in that original cast. She has played Elphaba in the first national tour, in the Chicago presentation, and of course on Broadway. Please welcome into the holding room, Christy Cates. Christy Cates, it's wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. You have had such an amazing career. You have had such a diverse career, performed on many different stages. And I would love for you to take us through maybe one of or a couple of your audition processes, what you've learned, how they went, and maybe our audience can be a little more familiar when they step into the room of what's going on and what they can expect or to expect the unexpected. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, you know, I figure everyone always wants to know about that first wicked audition. So perhaps I should just, you know, cut to the chase and start there. Does that that would be amazing. Like yeah. a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I, I got an audition for this new Broadway musical called Wicked back in 2003. The show had already tried out in San Francisco, but, um, or they were in the process of doing that. But I didn't know, of course, anything about it whatsoever. Um, you know, when you're an actor um, going in for shows specifically in New York City, but I would think of a lot of places across the country, they give you um, copy or, or, you know, part of the script, the scenes, some music ahead of time to prep before you come in. So that's what you're going to present. So I don't think that I got the entire script to Wicked, but I did get a couple of the songs and scenes. And I could tell already just by listening and reading how much I wanted <laughs> to be part of this, right? So I, they, they definitely gave me Defying Gravity, and I think they gave a little bit of I'm not that girl and maybe the wizard and I, isn't it? I, I don't remember specifically. Wow. And the cornfield scene, the um, the fight between Alphaba and Glinda there in the middle of act two. And um, some of your, your watchers may be familiar with Seth Radetzky. You know yeah. who Seth is. So Seth coached me on um, my music material and he was like, what is this? This is so high. And it was, <laughs> I, just I was like, I don't know. Uh, it's amazing. But yes, that is, those are some high belty notes. Um, so I went into my first audition and it was just music director, Stephen Aremus and I, I did some of the material. I, I thought I did well. I went back to my temp job. So I was um, actually, I had progressed at that point. I, I had been a temp at this um, publishing company for quite some time because you need a survival job when you're getting, you know, out there and getting ready to make it. And I was actually the assistant to the mathematics editors of course. at a publishing company. Right. That makes a lot of sense. But, but I was, and they were wonderful and gracious and they let me go to auditions during the work day. And I went back and I was like, okay, I'm not really sure how I did, but I'd really like to get that one. Right. Really like to book that one. And, um, I got a callback, of course. So I go to my callback and I walk in the room and it's Joe Mantello, the director, and it's Steven Schwartz, of course, and the producers and, um, some other folks there in the room. And, um, I, sang Define Gravity and I kept cracking and Stephen Schwartz kept saying, you know, you're, you're cheating on getting to these notes. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I was, oh, so, so, um, so flustered, but also so full of adrenaline and energy. And, um, I don't remember a lot about it. I do remember that I felt like I nailed like 99% of it. And then that last battle cry was just not what I practiced. Wow. Uh, but I do remember Adina Menzel saying she also cracked on that. So maybe there was like a little charm in that. <laughs> um, I did the scene and I remember Joe Mantello. I'll never forget this. Joe Mantello, the director saying, claim your power. This is where Alphaba claims her power. And that's sort of been a mantra for me throughout now the past almost 20 years. Wow. Claim your power. Um, great. Yeah, it was. And I left and I thought, oh, there's no way I'm booking that. I, I think that I don't know. It was a good experience. 
So I went to get a pedicure as you do. And because um, I felt sorry for myself, I thought, you know, oh man, I blew it. And in the middle of getting a pedicure, I got a call from my agent that I had booked it. That quick. Yeah, that quick, like three hours later. So they were just looking to replace that one track. So it was a quick, it was a quick process. Yeah. So your first audition, did you go in through a open call? Was it an agent call? Um, Great question. It was, it was through my agent. Okay. And I had been in for Telsey many times before. So they, you know, they were, I had been auditioning for them for about three and a half, four years and gotten close to and not close <laughs> to a bunch of things. And um, Craig at Telsey actually had come to my debut cabaret back in 2001 at Don't Tell Mama, where I did all up and coming composers. And so, um, yeah, I continued to slowly chip away at it. Yeah. So because of that relationship, because they put you into that audition, you only sang songs that they gave you. You didn't have to bring in your own song. Right. Well, I did bring in my own song, but I wasn't asked for it. I brought in um, Spark of Creation. So, and because it's Stephen Schwartz, yeah. it's an up-tempo song about a woman wanting something. So you knew that because you had read the sides and what they gave you, you knew how to find that material, what would be appropriate, because you'd never seen the show. The show hadn't been up yet. Right. That's right. That's right. Good. And I remember going wearing to that first audition a lowish cut red top and I remember Craig's Craig calling my agent saying just tell her to dress in all black just a black dress is fine (laughs) so you know I I did feel like I would have nailed it if I you know with the song choice but I did not nail it with the um you know costuming for that but that's okay did you find you know you you just mentioned that you were seen at a cabaret at Don't Tell Mama. Uh, did you do a lot of cabarets? Um, you know, I, that was the only solo cabaret that, that I did. I was part of a lot of other, um, a lot of other showcases and, and concerts and friends solo concerts. But a week or two before my Wicked audition, I had sung in a friend's concert. We sang a duet. Um, oh my gosh, that Sean wrote. <laughs> Not Sean um, we sang a duet and and um totally unbeknownst to me Stephen Schwartz was there and so when I walked into my wicked callback he was like oh I saw you and also in the audience that night was a voiceover agent and now since 2003 I have been a voiceover artist as well because that one concert where I said yes to a friend. I didn't get paid, um, but it was for the experience and to be part of his show and, and um, to be seen because that's so important in our business. Stephen Schwartz was there. A voiceover agent was there. Changed my life that one night. How, how could I know? But I said, yes. You know, you, you'll never know. You never know who's in the audience, you know, when it doesn't matter where you work, you know, you could be dancing in a theme park show, you could be dancing on a cruise ship, you could be in a dinner theater. Right. And who knows, maybe that Broadway director or casting agent has come home to visit his mother and taken her out to dinner to a dinner theater show and he sees you or yeah. went on a family vacation and sees a theme park show that you're dancing in or singing in. You never know who's in the audience. So I think it's- That's why you always have to bring it. You have to bring it. There's no phoning it in. 
you know, you have to every single time, 100%. Yeah. Uh, those auditions that you go in and maybe you know somebody behind the table and they can make you feel a little comfortable. Maybe there's a celebrity behind the table like Steven Schwartz or you're like, oh, I really want to work for this guy, you know, but then even if you don't book that gig, he saw you, you know, that, that artistic team, they saw you. Maybe you're not right for that show, but maybe they have a show in a year or somewhere else that you would be right for. So it's never, it's, a- not, it's, it's not about booking the job. It's about booking the room, you know, having, having made fans by the work you've done in that audition room. Right. Of course you want to book the job. Of course. Um, but, but it's not a wasted opportunity if you didn't. I love that. That is such a great phrase. It's not about booking the job. It's about booking the room. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What about, what about an audition that maybe didn't go your way? You know, we can't always be on our A game. I mean, it's, it's amazing that you admitted that you cracked when, you, when they handed you that music for, for Wicked, but they obviously saw in you something to put you a part of the original cast. Right. Um, but what about, you know, maybe an audition you're not so proud of? And um, I mean, I can think of three quick ones offhand. One of them that I totally botched was for, um, for A Christmas Story, which was Pasek and Paul, of course, Pasek and Paul, excuse me. And they gave me a song to learn. And I don't remember the reason. I think I was out of town doing a show, something. I didn't dedicate the time to this song that I needed to. And I went in and it was an embarrassment. I couldn't even get through and that, and, and, and look who I'm in front of. I mean, I've since redeemed myself, but that, that was a one instance where I just didn't put in the time. I, I don't remember specifically why, but um, yeah, I was, I was mortified. Um, another one was, was years ago. This was before wicked. I went in for Dance of the Vampires and um, there were a lot of people in the room, but I, for whatever reason, didn't look at the list of people who were in the room because they normally post that. And I didn't, and here's my big flaw, didn't look at the composer of my song that I had chosen. So I went in, I went to the, to the piano and they said, what are you singing? And I said, I'm gonna sing, it's all coming back. by you know, Celine Dion's all coming back so, right um and a gentleman behind the table says oh this horrible song this hack of a song what is this are you really singing this and of course I was mortified right I had chosen and practiced this song and I was like and so I started apologizing I'm so sorry I know it's not very good and it's super cheesy but it's got the notes you all are looking for whatever rambling little did I know that the person who said that was making a joke because it was Jim Steinman <laughs> who wrote Dance the Vampires, who also wrote, it's all coming back to me now. Wow. So I did not book that one. Um, and then very recently, and this is a story that I share with all of my students, is that, you know, I, I was prepping for an off-Broadway show. I changed my audition song at the last minute. This was a case where they wanted me to bring in my own song, but they had given me scenes from the show. And I changed my song at the very last minute. It's a song that I've sung in concerts with orchestras, okay? This, this sort of song sounds very, very, very different if you just sing it with a piano. But if you've never sung it with just a piano and you've only sung it with an orchestra, you're gonna get in that room and have no idea. I mean, at least I did, I don't wanna speak for everyone, 
what is, I didn't know where to come in. I didn't know the modulations correctly because I'm used to hearing the violin section playing something. Um, I could not believe it. They let me have three tries at it. I screwed up all three tries. Wow. But then I nailed my scene and I still booked the show. Wow, good for you. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I know. So that's maybe not the greatest example to scare everyone, but like, I, but still, I, I, this is something I get on my students on all the time. And any, anyone out there listening, especially with pop songs, pop songs sound very, very different on a piano than they sound mixed in a studio. So be sure that you get someone to play that sheet music. Yeah. for you before you just take it into the audition room. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's great. Uh, <laughs> you know, in your, you're very lucky and you're very wise to tell everybody that it, if there's an audition where they got 200 people around the corner lined up to do it, they're not giving you three chances. If you're going to an open call like that, once you're done, we got 199 people behind you. We're, yeah. we'll find somebody else. So, right. I mean, your talent and your reputation allows you to stay in the room. Well, I'm lucky but, because I'm old and I've been here a long time. And so they're <laughs> like, let's give this lady another chance <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, when you're starting out, I mean, it is, it is the um, casting director's job to remember you. Right. So if it's the first time you're going in and you aren't prepared or something happens, just remember it's their, it's, it's their job to remember you. Yeah. So make sure they remember a person who has prepared, who is confident, who nails it and not someone who it doesn't quite have it all together and should have maybe waited till the next audition. Yeah. How do you handle those dance auditions? And can, do you, can you talk to us about maybe a callback or an open call where you had to dance? Sure. Um, I, you know, I was very lucky. My dance audition for Wicked was, do you dance? And I said, I mean, I, I can fake it. I can move. That was my dance audition for Wicked. I didn't have to do anything. Right. So huh. I really got off scot-free with that. I, but, you know, at the end of the day, my track um, in the, in the Broadway production did not do much dancing, but, but I, I, I did hold my own. Um, yeah, I so my callback for Finding Neverland, there were only a few of us. There were like four or five of us. But, you know, Mia Michaels choreographed Finding Neverland. And she's, I mean, give me a break. She's amazing. But not that, traditional. Not traditional. That is hard, hard stuff to pick up and physically process in your body if you're not a dancer. And I will just fully admit that like eight months before that, I had also had a kid. So I had not been dancing. I was not like, you know, um, so I knew that I had to be super focused and I knew, so this is something super, super, super is my favorite word. Um, this is something very important. You have to listen to what the choreographer is telling you in terms of what they want as an actor. Yes, the steps are important, absolutely. And I did my best, was it perfect? Absolutely not. However, she gave me a character to create and that is where I knew that I couldn't get in my head about not being on the perfect foot or having the perfect beat for, um, for this move. I needed to show her 
that I could fit in as a character into this story. Wow. So, so that, that is my advice. You know, I'm not, you know, fake it till you make it is not one of my favorite sayings because I think you should keep working your butt off until you make it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I took a lot of dance over the years. I really have. It's just not my strength, but more importantly than being a technically perfect dancer is being able to pick something up and not be so in your head that you can't also act at the same time. Yeah. You've given us some, some great golden nuggets. I mean, taking the time to focus, prepare, do your research. It's about booking the room and not necessarily the gig. I love that. That's going to be my new phrase. I, right. <laughs> I'm going to give you credit a couple times. No, I, someone <laughs> said, I, I can't think of who said, I, that is not mine. Someone said that to me and I stole it from them. Maybe okay. they stole it from someone else. Who knows? We'll, we'll keep it going. We'll okay, keep we'll keep it going. Keep it alive. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us and, and sharing your experiences uh, and giving us those nuggets of knowledge. Really, thank you for your time today. If you have a few more moments, I want to bring you back for our lightning round. Christy Cates, are you ready for our lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First Broadway soundtrack you ever obsessed over? Miss Saigon. Go-to song when singing in the shower? Let it go. Cake or pie? Pie. Show you wish you could go back in time to be in? Um... Oh, that's hard. Um, that's why I ask it. Oh, show I wish I could go back in time to be part of, oh, that original cast of Les Mis, I would have. Um, who is someone that if they punched you in the face, you would not be mad? Patty Lapone. Yeah. <laughs> what a great story that would be. I got punched by Patty. <laughs> if you could do one show for the next five years, what would it be? Ragtime. Say good day, mate, in an Australian accent. Did I, might. All right. Steven Sondheim is writing a musical about your favorite childhood toy. What is it about? Oh, it's about my speak and spell. Remember the speak and spell? I speak do. Read? The crazy voice that came out of the speak and spell. Yeah. You spelled hello. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, Steven can have some fun with that. <laughs> um, South Pacific or Oklahoma? South Pacific. Sour Patch Kids or Swedish Fish? Oh, Swedish Fish. Which animal brings more joy to the world, squirrels or llamas? Oh, llamas, llamas. Go-to cast album when you're on a road trip? City of Angels. Whoa, nice one, all right. Uh, Duet you enjoy singing both parts to? Um, um, oh, oh. Yes. I mean, let's go back to Miss Saigon because I really am great at singing both Chris and Kim and both of those big duets that they do. <laughs> Last Night of the World. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Sun and Moon. Yeah. Those are both great. Yeah. Next superhero to have a Broadway musical. Thor, but only it's, if it's Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. Well, it's got to be. <laughs> All right. I show up to an audition and before you see me dance, you know, hear me sing or act, what do you typecast me as? Mm, this is, that's a hard question. Um, I'm going to typecast you as um, the, the, um, 
the neighbor next door who's very unassuming, but at the end actually saves the day. Oh, I like the hero part. Thank you. Yeah. I thought you were going to go somewhere else. But no, <laughs> no, I think you're, you know, undercover, like superhero yourself. There you go. See, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Cast. All right. Christy, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I really appreciate it and hope to see you again real soon. Of course. Thank you, Christian. Take care. If you need music for an audition or a voice lesson, Performer Stuff's got you covered. PerformerStuff.com offers not only full music sheets, but also 32-bar and 16-bar cuts, pre-selected by our on-staff music directors with an intro and easy-to-read sheet for your accompanist. If you need some help practicing, you can download an audition bundle with the sheet music, a vocal lead, and practice track. Plus, the audio on the track matches the sheet music, so you can walk into your audition knowing exactly what to expect. As always, our search feature makes it easy for you to find what you're looking for. So when you need music, come check us out at performerstuff.com. Okay, I want to talk about two things that Christy talked about. First of all, claim your power. Yes, this was a direction for Alphaba, but I think we can all take ownership of this. Claim your power. You are worthy. You are good enough. So claim your power. I love that, Christy. Thanks for bringing it up. Also, another thing she said, it's not about booking the gig. It's about booking the room. I love this. The people behind the table, they're going to cast for a lot of other things probably. So get in the room, book the room. You might not get this job because of some absurd reason you can't control, but you can get the people in front of you to fall in love with you. So expand your network because they might hire you for your next job. On this episode of Thank You Five, I'm going to get a little preachy preachy, but just for five minutes, because I've been noticing people lashing out at other people's opinions of Broadway shows. Now, I belong to various you know, groups on social media accounts, and people talk about the shows that they enjoy or don't enjoy. And I think Broadway shows and musical theater are like wine. Some people like them, some people don't. And I have an example. I mean, my wife drinks Sutter Home. Yeah, not my favorite. It's like, I don't know, $9 for 15 gallons of wine. I don't know, but it's, you know, but then like I can drink The Prisoner, you know, a nice red blend for 50 bucks a bottle. But my wife likes Sutter Home. My wife likes cats. <laughs> I like Sweeney Todd. You know, but to each their own, you know, and I, I, nobody says it better than the Broadway show title of show. I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. And in another episode, we're really going to talk about title of show because that show is awesome. But cats was one of the first albums I bought. I fell in love with it as a young male dancer. That was it. I mean, that was the big dance show or one of the big dance shows at the time. I mean, that show is the fourth longest running show of all time now for a reason, you know? So when people say, oh, that show's terrible, that show's awful. Like really, who? I don't think you can say that. All you can say is I don't enjoy that show because to some people that show is amazing. And I don't want to shut any other Broadway fan down. Because I was shot down when I was younger. And I remember how it made me feel that 
what people who I thought were older and wiser were telling me that my taste in Broadway shows was terrible. Well, maybe my taste in Broadway shows isn't hoity-toity, or I actually don't know the word for it, but that's my taste, and I like what I like, and that's okay. My wife likes Sutter Home <laughs> wine, and that's fine. I, I don't want any sommelier around the world to tell her she can't have that when we go out to a dinner. And I don't want to tell you that the show that you love and that you rock out with and that takes you to your happy place isn't a good show. Because if you're loving it, if you're singing along with it, then that's all that matters. So next time somebody tells you that show is awful, why do you like that show? Just say, hey, Broadway shows are like wine. Everybody has different tastes and all those tastes are okay. And with that, thank you five. If you have a huge audition coming up and you don't want to search through the same old monologue books, check out performerstuff.com. Our custom search feature lets you narrow down exactly what you're looking for, get a quick preview of the monologue, then print it out. Plus, lots of materials come straight from the playwright, so you won't walk in with the same monologue as everyone else. It's the easiest way to get your audition or classroom monologues. Search, preview, print at performerstuff.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, my guests for Professor's Corner today met both playing the role of Christine Daae in Phantom of the Opera. They have many Broadway and off-Broadway credits, national tours, regional theaters. They've gone on to become educators and they teach a workshop, Group Singing for Dancers. I know the tips they have are going to help a lot of people out, so make sure you pay attention and take some notes. Please welcome to Professor's Corner, Caitlin Davis and Katie Travis. Kate and Katie, it is wonderful to have you here today. It's wonderful to be speaking to you. I, I know you have a lot to offer our audience and I can't wait to get into it, but I, I just want to introduce you all as, as two people who met performing the role of Christine Daae. I mean, amongst your other credits, I think that's pretty cool that that's how both of you met performing Christine Daae. And then both uh, are educators. So from an educational standpoint, you have a lot of experience and from an actual professional performer standpoint, you come with a lot of experience. So I appreciate both of your experience and the perspective that you can give. And then as you have gone on to create this group singing for dancers, I know specifically for myself, who was a person who made their living as a professional dancer, I was always nervous about the singing audition and the singing of shows. And I know there are people in our audience who are dancers first or actors first. So I, I, I really look forward to our conversation and you being able to, to help out our audience. So welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, I think what's unique about uh, the role of Christine, which is how this all started with the group singing for dancers, is that she's a singer, right? Who's also supposed to be a ballerina is like a huge <laughs> part of the plot. And so we as singers had to dance a ballet among like ballerinas who were <laughs> incredibly impressive dancers and try to you know, blend in. And I think uh, there was such a mutual respect between the dance, like the ballerinas and then us as singers and such like a an awe for what each other did. And so out of that kind of came these like 
lesson swaps that started happening where we would do voice lessons or, or a dance lesson and just kind of swap it on off days or time off on the road, which was extremely helpful. And then we realized that it's so nice to have someone meet you where you are with the respect for what you do on the other side versus, you know, someone just meeting you and you being like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know how to dance. And then you feel like you're so far behind versus like we perform together. I see what you're capable of doing. So I know how to meet you right where you are. And it doesn't feel like there's this huge barrier of entry. And so growth can happen so much faster that way when there's just a respect for what someone does already. Yeah, absolutely. When you recognize that somebody is a professional dancer and they obviously have the discipline to become a professional dancer at that level, then they probably have the discipline to take on something new like like voice. So that's yeah. So where do we start? How does that how do, how does that dancer become comfortable, confident? What are those first few things that they can begin to do, even if it's on their own, you know, singing in the shower? What, what, what would you recommend a, how a dancer gets started? I would say um, daily warm-ups are key. So I, um, some of my friends who who also run a voice studio in New York, um, Innovative, voice, Innovative Voice Studio, they're pretty fab. And um, they uh, started this, this like daily warm up um, for anybody. And so I, as a teacher and a singer, uh, joined on with them. And I, I just realized like, you know, there are some days where um, 20 minutes is the best you can do and 20 minutes is better than nothing, right? And so even in my own singing and my work, uh, especially through the pandemic and just trying to stay motivated, that was really awesome to have some colleagues and um, uh, friends be the ones to motivate me to just say like, let's just do, do this every day, 20 minutes is better than nothing. And we say that to our students all the time. I also think coming to terms with and learning about um, your own voice in a way where you you grow um, to like your own voice and to I mean honestly it's it's huge and and to find things that you like about your voice and to grow from there so no one is starting at square zero everyone is starting from somewhere um, and to really start to have an appreciation for the things that you like about your voice are is really important. It's really valuable to start major growth in anything, really, right? I know when I first started singing, I was always back in my throat. I sounded like Kermit the Frog. And and what I was really trying to do now that I am older, more experienced, and I look back on it, I was trying to sing like Anthony Warlow, or I was trying to sing like Michael Crawford or Cole Wilkinson because I wasn't comfortable with my own voice. I didn't learn to like the natural quality of my voice. So I was too busy trying to be somebody else. There's such a mirror there too with like, when I'm trying to do a combination that I'm very uncomfortable with, I will shrink it down and try it because I think that looks like what everyone else is doing. But if I were to just actually just be in my own body, it would look way better than yeah. me being like, they look so small and controlled. So this is what happens, right? Everybody's singing quietly when they're, and it's like, don't notice all of the imperfections where if, if you kind of own them and know where you are, you'll, it's just way more effective for what you're trying to do. And bouncing off of that, um, let's just get a little better next time, a little better. It's not about like, you know, changing from, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like a non-dancer to a Tyler Peck or a non-singer to a Renee Fleming. It's like a little better every time you do it. That's the goal. There's this like 
belief that everybody else has it all together and everybody else has all their skills ready to go. But we're all kind of going into the room with different insecurities that we have. It's not that everybody else has their perfect cut that they're going to go in and belt after dancing the combination perfectly. Like everybody's at different levels and anyone can get varying levels of gigs depending on your skill set. It's what they see in you as a human being really at the end of the day. But what else can a, can a dancer do to, to begin to train their voice? Um, finding something that you like to sing first and, and doing that because there's all of this pressure on finding the right song for XYZ breakdown. But if you find things that you like to sing, then your joy will come out through that. And it helps you not feel like you don't want to do that. So regardless of if it's the right song or the wrong song or whatever, just start if there's a song that like makes you come to life that you want to sing, just try to sing it around the house all the time. Just try to sing it because then you start to remember this muscle memory of happiness when you're doing singing, yeah. <laughs> when you're singing. So I think that can make a big difference too in the early stages. So muscle memory is key because whether you're working on ear training skills or you're working on tension release, you know, so um, I'm just using that as an example. If we're matching that, we need to remember at the end of the day, we're dealing with uh, we're dealing with a lot of muscles, but we're dealing with two slabs of muscles, the vocalis muscles. They come together. The thyroretinoids come together just a little bit more or a little bit less, depending on what registration we're in. And we talk a lot about anatomy and physiology because, um, and in both Kate and our, my training um, in our master's degrees, and I am a yoga instructor, and in that sort of physical training as well, just talking about um, anatomy is so key because at the end of the day, we are dealing with muscles. So when we talk about muscle memory, learning what this pitch, what middle C feels like is essentially at the end of the day, a muscular activity that we need to remember the, the feeling or the sensation, right? And I, I want to stop you right there because that yeah. is that is great as, as a non-singer, what does that feel like? That helps me as a dancer, you know, because I know where my second is. I know, you know, where my attitude, my back attitude is. I know what that feels like, but to hear a C and to sing it and go, okay, where is that in my face? Where is that in my throat? How, what does it feel like to sing a C? I think that's very relatable for dancers. That's a great tip. I just wanted to highlight that because you can feel what a C feels like. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it's it's thinking about musculature and what we're working with um, anatomically can help us start to feel things versus basing things on what we're hearing. Because at the end of the day, what is different about being a, a singer, what, what is different when we're singing and when we're dancing? And I try not to like categorize because I think sometimes that ends up being problematic and we just have throughout this but like you know if we say like I am a dancer and I don't sing then that doesn't leave for growth mindset right because you're right. just like fixed in that thing but um when we are singing we because we're dealing with acoustics the sounds we're creating may sound different to our ear than what someone who's hearing outside of our own skull sounds like. Not to get crazy too far into anatomy, but it's because, you know, the acoustics of the sound bounces off in a certain way and we hear it a certain way. But like if what you're talking about, that retracted tongue, if your tongue was really far retracted, to me, that could sound really um, 
round and full and like I could sound in my own head like Renee Fleming when I do that, right? <laughs> but actually at the end of the day, with knowledge about acoustics, that dampens our sound and that depresses the larynx in a way that we might not really want for a particular style, right? So learning that and knowing that it's the sensations that we're feeling versus what we're hearing, it allows us to not be so afraid to create sounds because also, especially when we're dealing with belting and, and just being frank, like women belting is, is sometimes kind of scary. And, and especially if we're used to more of a head dominant sound. So making sounds, calling sounds, hey, that kind of sound and not being afraid to make it it allows us to feel the sensation of what does a call feel like? All right, now I'm just going to extend that. And great, that's belting. That's the, that's the cool trick. And so you're basing what you're feeling on the sound that you're creating versus like, oh, I'm afraid to make that hay sound. I don't know if it's going to sound good or bad. It doesn't matter right now. We just need to make the sound, feel what that feels like, and move from there. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, it, and that's also why when you watch recording artists recording an album, they're usually covering one ear or they're listening to headphones so they can hear their voice because you can't hear your true voice. So what it sounds like in your head is different, like as you mentioned, to what, what somebody else may hear. Um, so getting used to that and singing a song that you love around the house and maybe, maybe putting the iPhone on and recording it. A major thing with consistency of airflow is, is fear and holding back that airflow, right? So like someone who's afraid to make like this, this kind of sound might hold back the air like this to make this kind of sound because they're trying to, what Kate is saying, like how, how I've definitely done it in a dance call is like staying small, right? And so you, we go like this, right? Which doesn't allow for consistency of airflow. It doesn't allow for that sort of call and that open belt sound, which may be what someone is intending to create. And so um, that is, is super key. And on airflow, thinking about for dancers, we really want to think about because it's it's really tight abdominals, right? As you're doing, you really want your core engaged. And I think about this a lot in, in yoga, right? And we want our rib cage to be knitted in and not splayed. Um, but often we want to try to find a little more release in those lower abdominals. And that is something that is different in the breath work that we do when we sing. And so taking time to find expansion of the ribs, expansion of the lower abdominals, a little bit more release here. That is some of the first stages of breath work that we do with our dancers because often um, you're just so, everyone is so trained and to be like as tight as possible, right? Cause you gotta get your pirouette in and, and, if you're, <laughs> and you're this tight, right? And yep. you're, you're knitted in and you're zipped up. And so playing with that is, um, is a part of our work too. Also, one of the advice I was given when I first started taking voice lessons was to know what I was singing about and to concentrate on that. Because as a not very good singer, I was told to mean what I was saying <laughs> because I wasn't getting all the notes. Yeah, Kate, Kate and I have been digging into some Shakespeare class recently, and we are just reading this book, Thinking Shakespeare by Barry Edelstein. And he talks a lot about this idea of, so you break apart the song as a whole, right? We get the broad brush strokes of like, what are you saying? Who are you talking to? What is it you want? And then you break apart 
every, every sentence, every phrase and say, what is this in my own words? Like, what is this gobbledygook poetry? Like, I need to say it in my own words so I understand they're not just words running by a page. You could really stand out if you do that because so many of us, and I've been guilty of it a thousand times, just walking in and wanting the voice to sound a perfect way. So I've completely thrown out the window with what I'm saying. And I think when you actually are expressing a story, that can be the most powerful thing as a performer. That is kind of the most important component of all the things that we're doing. So I think it's great to have that because our Shakespeare teacher that we've been taking says the safest places in the story. And I love that. I think that is because if we're scared for our skills, the safest places in the story. You know, when I sang my best, I was in my car with my friend and we were rocking out to Miss Saigon. And my friend would go, why don't you sing like that? What are you, what are you talking about? It's like, you don't sing like that when you're next to a piano. I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm just rocking out. I'm just, I mean, I rock out Broadway style. I'm a dork. But when I was just laid back and having fun and around people I was comfortable with, like they thought I had a good voice. But you put me in front of a piano and go sing this, Christian. I'm like, mm, me, no singing. I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But from a technical perspective, we're talking about, as Kate mentioned, breath, right? The consistency of airflow. When I'm just singing in my shower and I'm, you know, singing Miss Saigon in my shower, I'm making these types of sounds, which is totally consistent airflow, right? I'm also not judging the sound. Yeah. I'm not judging the sound. I'm letting myself make the sounds. Even if the high C is kind of jank in my shower, I'm not judging the sound. I'm just letting it go. Yeah. And and so much of, of the work is a combination of breath work and a combination of just making the sounds <laughs> just making the sounds because you, you you can't you can't grow if you're like hiding everything back like a mouse and like making these sounds constantly right you, yeah. you can only grow by derfing a little bit you know that's where growth comes i think we should all adopt the word derf by the yeah, way yeah it's my favorite it's my favorite yeah, I, I, I think like when I, okay, so say I was given a dance combination and I'm trying to shrink down. I think a lot of it is like subconsciously, I'm like, I don't feel like I have the license to pretend that oh, I'm yeah. doing a good job at this. It's like, and I think it's, it shows like a certain self-awareness, but it also can be left at the door, I think, and just enjoy what you're doing and be like, you have the license because someone's asking you to do this. <laughs> so yeah. like give yourself the license to do it fully versus trying to do it halfway of, of like protection. <laughs> so you know, realistically, you, you can have one or two like really strong cuts that you use for a lot of things. And I will add that like, as we are expanding and growing in the musical theater industry, we have no idea the styles that are even going to be thrown our way. You know, like now, you know, the cursive Billie Eilish stuff is all in, right? Who knows? So like working on various styles and tools, um, you know, folk songs, country songs, you know, all, all sorts of varying pop pop songs are really important because now even like I mean for a while like Mean Girls they were only asking for pop songs so yeah. like they weren't even asking for thing for a contemporary musical theater song so it's it's I think it is key to start expanding your palette but how you expand your palette is actually just learning oh if I raise my soft palette or lower my soft palette a little bit or if I get myself a little more chipmunk sound by raising my larynx doing physical action 
to create a certain type of sound, then that's how you can move your voice through all different styles. So you, you spoke a little bit about your, your course and your class. Now, I, I really want you to tell us about your course, your class. How can our audience reach out to you? How can they connect with you? And, and what, can they, what can they expect from your course? Well, we, we can be reached by email um, and on Instagram, social media, all of this stuff. We've gotten students all of these different ways. Um, if that might be the easiest way, actually, just uh, probably Katie's is easier. Katie J. Travis, right? Is that your? Uh, yeah, or, or your, just say yours too, and then we can. Yeah, uh, and Caitlin Nicole underscore Davis uh, on Instagram. <laughs> um, and that's also my email, Caitlin Nicole Davis at Gmail. Um, and from the course, like Katie was saying, you can expect one to two new cuts that you that we've collaborated on choosing. So they're useful in some way and you like them and we feel like they they fit you kind of as a person. And we will send like a list of a bunch of cuts for them to then choose from which ones one or ones they would like to work on during the rest of the course. We also provide a full set of vocal warmups and what they are for stylistically. So like your early warmups just to kind of get your voice moving and then ones that are for a more head voice legit sound and then ones that are to get you ready for belting. We give them uh, little tips for if you're standing outside in the hallway, what can you do to make sure your voice is not completely tense the minute you're about to go in? Things that you can do that are subtle outside of a room just to have ready to go. And um, it's like kind of a survival toolkit for getting a dancer through a singing audition, really. <laughs> We also break down a little bit of a little bit of music theory and um, how to how to learn a new cut. So you get that cut, you have two days to learn it. Here's how to break it down, right? Here's how to get it in small little chunks. Look at the contour of the melody. Does it go up? Does it go down? What is this? You know, everyone everyone in class is kind of at different levels and we cater to that. That's what's really important is it's not just a one size fits all. And Kate, you brought up a really great thing. And I want to add to that. We do this in class, but it's, it's something that anyone can do in their own warmups is for a long time I would warm up and it felt like I was running on a hamster wheel, right? Like you're just like singing, getting your voice ready, which it is that combination, but it's also to have a deeper understanding of what's happening with your instrument and what's happening um, anatomically to create these types of sounds. Great. So having a deeper understanding of the instrument through your vocalizations. So it's not just like a hamster wheel situation. Um, yeah, and so we do that for five weeks. And um, and again, we try to keep it really affordable. We, we usually keep the groups down to six top seven so we keep it pretty small and that's what we really care about because we don't want it to be massive in each in each section um so we really want to give individual attention to people and what what they need that's great i i, I know i'm older than you guys but where were you when i was 18 i could have <laughs> i could have <laughs> i could have used this that that sounds so great and i love that you get into some of the music theory too because one of the one of the things that I kind of had an issue with was getting those first shows and dealing with the music director, a music supervisor, and then kind of talking about a song. And I'm like, what? I don't know this vocabulary. So even even just picking up some of that vocabulary of music and of those notes and you know what have you is 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 great. So 
It's a really good point. There's actually a, a component to about communicating with your accompanist because that can be such a terrifying barrier of like, am I going to hand them this and are they going to know what I need? So explaining, it goes along with the music theory. Like if you're asking for a starting pitch, why you're doing that, or if you're making a cut to give it an ending, look at what's underneath it in the piano. And so building them that way so that it musically can flow and knowing what words you need to tell them so that you they can give you what you need while you're trying to sing. So that's also a big component that goes along with the theory is building a cut and communicating why that works musically. Well, from two people who have performed at the highest level and continue to educate at, a, at, at the collegiate level and professional level, I can't think of anybody better to take classes from. So uh, I'm going to put all of those links into our show notes. So if you didn't write them down while you're listening or watching this, if you didn't memorize them as they were being said, we'll put the links in the show notes so you can quickly find them and, and seek you guys out and get your help. I, I greatly appreciate your time. I, I appreciate your insights and your tips and your tricks. And let's all go into this with a growth mindset that we are good enough and we can get better and, and we can do it. So really, both of you, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Join me, Mark Pawsey, your host for Pro Series on PerformerStuff.com with friends and colleagues from the entertainment world whom I've had the pleasure to work alongside during my illustrious show business career. Together in conversation, we share our knowledge, experiences, wisdom and passion for the arts. From Broadway in the West End to theme parks, cruise ships and everything in between, Pro Series will bring you tips on how we succeeded in this industry that we love and respect. Pro Series, conversations with the pros brought to you by PerformerStuff.com. There you go, an awesome episode with three amazing women. I hope you all took notes. I hope you learned a lot from them. Uh, some great advice. So thank you, Kate. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, Christy. An awesome episode. Hey, if you want some more, make sure you check out intheholdingroom.com. We're just getting this website up and going because all the books that our guests have been talking about and recommending in these past six episodes, we have links to all of those books for Amazon. So some great resources and some great books that I recommend as well. We also have links to all of the performers and people that I have been interviewing some of them offering services like Kate and Katie. So you can find their links at intheholdingroom.com. And make sure you keep vocalizing. You keep practicing your scales, listening for the quality of the notes like Kate and Katie mentioned, but sometimes you need help. You need somebody else to tell you the quality of the notes you're singing. So record yourself like they mentioned as well. And also check out performerstuff.com some great resources on performerstuff.com for music, for sheet music, and helping you become a better performer as well. All right. Well, next week, we have an amazing episode from school teacher to West End star. The incredible Matthew Goodgame is going to be on it, telling his story. My thank you five section, I'll be telling an embarrassing story that happened to me as a kid and how I wish somebody would have the embarrassing conversation so the uncomfortable situations don't occur. And I know there's a lot of men out there who will totally know what I'm talking about, but some of you women and teachers and instructors, make sure you're tuning in next week because 
Uncomfortable conversations are so much better than embarrassing situations, especially for young boys in theater and dance. So check that out. Also, the incredible Ralph Perkins will be joining me in Professor's Corner next week. He is the director of dance at the University of Hartford. You are going to want to listen to him and his advice and why you have to earn the right for your teacher to give you notes. All this and more at In the Holding Room. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe and share and tell a friend. We'll see you next week in the holding room. Mm -hmm.